Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, this is the first church I know. A lot of churches will have like Friends Sunday and guests come. This is the first time I've seen anybody let their guests preach and lead worship. There you go. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I uh, can really identify with what uh, Debbie's little thing was, is that the man is the head and the woman is the neck. Because my wife turned my head from day one. Yeah. And I love to embarrass her really good. This is my wife, Renee. If you stand and say hi to everybody. See what I mean? Also brought two guests from, from our ministry. Yes, I'm going to embarrass you too. Is Sarah and Susanna. Can you stand up and say hello to everybody? These are two precious ones that the Lord has connected us with um, in our discipleship ministry. I wanted just to tell you a little bit about myself because many of you may know some of this because as I walked in this morning, I felt like I was home, only I'm gray now. What many of you may not know is that my parents started coming to this church with their three little kids way back in the, the 70s, actually. Wow. And it was while I was going to this church that I got saved. I received Jesus all my life. And it was in this church that I began to receive a call. And some of the people that are in here right now are key in that. Um, I was a very, very active part of the youth group. And back in the day, it was Daryl Walters, Jeff's brother, that was, was uh, kind of leading it. And Bob and Betty Colvin were part of that. And it was from those moments of their ministry that I began to realize that I had a call on my life. And it wasn't long after I graduated from high school that I went to get training and I became a youth pastor. I became like the granddaddy of youth pastors for quite a long time. And many of you guys that may have seen me in the community or been around or know me, I was at Church on the Hill for almost 20 years in a pastoral role. And Eric and I shared the stage quite a few times and I walk in today and it was so good to see my brother again. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eric. So good. Appreciate you guys. But from that time, I need to tell you that I have fell in love with two of your pastors, Chris Pulleys and Scott Broad, both of them men of God. As a matter of fact, with Chris, Chris and I still are working together in the kingdom because after so many years in the in the pastoral ministry, I started to realize more and more that no matter how many sermons I preached, people that had heard my sermons, if they could just like name one, then I would be really happy. And out of those, what, how much transformation was happening? Well, I think there was, you know, it was a great church, but as with the travels, my wife, Renee, the one that turned my head, um, she works for Advancing Native Missions, a missions organization that is around the whole globe 
with thousands of indigenous missionaries that they, they resource, they encourage, and they help around the world. And I've gotten to travel so many different places through that ministry. And everywhere I've gone in the world, I have seen God working and moving and thousands and thousands of people. And in these missionaries, one of the main things that's happening around the world is a true multiplication of the body of Christ through discipleship. And as time kept moving, I just start seeing things differently. And I just start feeling the call of God that it was time for him to move here like he was there. And it was almost two years ago that Renee and I were sent from Church on the Hill as indigenous missionaries to the Shenandoah Valley. So I'm a missionary. And here recently, I want to tell you that God is on the move. I, we, we've been able to be in quite a few churches, especially in the last few weeks. We've been in quite a few churches. And it is amazing to see what God is doing right here in the Shenandoah Valley. You may not know this, but since I stepped out of the church world into this valley, all of a sudden I started realizing there's a network of men and women that are empowered to reach the lost. And there are pastors in churches. They're, they're visiting ministers. But one of the things that's happening is people are hearing the Holy Spirit say, move to the valley. And they're obeying them. They're coming from all over places, from, from New York, one from China. Holy Spirit said, move, and he came. Just recently, I was having coffee with a, with a man that's South African. The Lord said, move to the valley, and he did. He's here in Waynesboro. All because they're sensing the Holy Spirit doing something. And this is the great part. We get to be part of that. We are in exciting days around us. And I don't know how you are, but I'm hungry to be part of these last days harvest that is going on. Jesus said the harvest is ripe. And in these days, we can see all around us, like there's this just message that's been burning in my heart to the greater church. And it's, it's from Hebrews 12 and the last few verses there. It basically says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But those things that cannot be shaken will remain. And I know that for me, and hopefully for most of you or all of you, that you are now living in a kingdom, that you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, the kingdom of light. And that's the place that no matter what shaking is going on around us, that we can walk in a place of stability. We can walk in a place of, of, of protection, a place of, of provision, a place. And today we're going to talk about that place of peace. And no matter what's being shaken all around us, that we can walk in an unshakable peace. And I don't think that there's a whole lot of us that actually believe that we can have that kind of peace. But I'm here to declare to you today that we can walk in an unshakable peace that gives us clarity, that mars our faith, that causes us to walk with him in ways that are supernatural. And that's the kind of walk that we're going to need in these last days, is a supernatural walk. It's no, it's no uh, uh, secret that in the shaking, we see things around the globe, and it's, it's at our doorstep now. We used to look over across seas, oh my gosh, that country and the other country and all the poor countries. 
But now we see the spirit of lawlessness being released upon even our own nation, right? And what can happen in those things is, is that we can start to get fear on us. We can start to walk in a anxiety. Anxiety is now, I think, uh, the new pandemic because of what is going on around us. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're walking in fellowship with him. When you start feeling anxiety, you should go tilt. That's not of the kingdom of God. We're going to rule that in a minute. So I want to just start with this. Two years ago, we were, we uh, took off from Church on the Hill. And it was such an amazing thing. So many people loving us and supporting us and sending us. And so I remember that first Sunday that I'd, I'd, I'd sat in every service almost at Church on the Hill for almost 20 years, or probably more than that. And here I was, and all of a sudden I found myself, okay, God, I obeyed you now. Uh, what now? And, you know, I, people were like greeting me like, you know, Pastor Shane, oh my goodness, you're such a man of, of boldness and courage and faith. And I had to look at them and go, no, I am absolutely terrified. I am scared out of my wits because I don't know. I like to eat. That's always a good thing. But there was more than that. It was just a feeling like foreboding. And morning after morning, I would wake up and I would be dealing with this fear and this terror, this anxiety, this foreboding that was going on. And I battled it for a little while, but I, I couldn't figure out where it's coming from because, I mean, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I'm opening my life to, because I want you to understand that if you're dealing with these things now, Jesus has overcome and you can overcome in him. See, the enemy would come to me and he would put thoughts in my head that would bring great anxiety. He would come as an accuser. Look, see what you've done. Who do you think you are? Who do you, what do you think that you have? How are you going to make it? How are you going to make the ends meet? And as he would come, he would begin to highlight my weaknesses or any other failure. He would try to bring shame and, and um, insecurity or feelings of inadequacy. But here's what began to happen. When I began to recognize what was going on, and, and praise the Lord for my incredible wife and others around me, I started realizing, wait a minute. I stepped out in faith. I stepped out to make waves in the kingdom. Who else would be being attacked other than somebody that would move forward in this type of crazy thing? And I started to realize these thoughts are thoughts that are coming from the enemy. And when I started to realize that I was just accepting them, I was able then to reject the thoughts that were stealing my peace. And as we just read in John 14, I believe that we're looking at another key scripture here in this upper room discourse from 13 to 17. They call the upper room discourse. And whatever you look at it, there's, there's several subjects that Jesus was trying to highlight. But in the whole thing, what I believe he was doing right there at that last supper, 24 hours before he was going to be taken captive and hung on a cross, I believe he was preparing his disciples 
for something that was going to be terrifying, for uncharted territory, for a place that could overwhelm them and cause them to be sifted, cause them to fall, cause them to fail. And I want you to picture with me just for a minute in this scene in chapter 14, he has just seen Judas take off to ignite the whole uh, next few days where he was going to be crucified. And then Peter, everybody loves Peter, right? Always putting his foot in his mouth. There's Peter. And when he says, well, you know, I got Jesus is telling him I got to go. And Peter goes, oh, no, no, no. Peter's always the one. Well, as far as it is with me, I'll never deny you. And, you know, Jesus probably did this a lot, Peter. <laughs> Why? Because like a lot of us, Peter was trying to walk it out in his own strength, in his own idea. And I don't know about you, but many times I've come to a place where I've, I've experienced that, man, I've, I'm out here doing this on my own. I'm striving. I'm not thriving. Peter was at that moment. And here is Jesus saying, you're going to deny me. There's going to be a betrayal. But Peter, I love you. I love you. I know you probably have already crossed over that. But setting up for for 14, Jesus is there here, and he's preparing them. As he's preparing them, just imagine with me for a moment of savior with great compassion embracing the disciples not just talking at them but having this compassionate intimate moment that he's looking at them and he's he's saying to them listen i'm getting ready to go but here's some instructions for you that will keep you from failing and with the words that we're just getting, getting ready to get into in just a minute. He's, he begins to diffuse the sense of shame and failure, insecurity, inadequacy, and their deepest fears. Hopefully that he can give them something that would anchor them when things start getting rough. And when I read this, as he's preparing them, I had to say, what is he doing Right now, the same thing is happening in that this, as a body of Christ, as the world, we are entering into unknown, uncharted territory. All these things that we're seeing, Israel in the news and and the social upheaval that's going on, not only in the United States, but around the world, all the wars and rumors of wars and all the things that you can see. Did you know there was an earthquake in Stuart's Trap the other day? It was last night too? See, I'm behind the times. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Did that not bring Matthew 24 home to our door? All these things are happening around us. And Jesus is saying the same to us that he was saying that night to the disciples. And this is how he starts. He says, as he's embracing Peter, but let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The word troubled here is the is a Greek. I'm a Greek geek, by the way. I love I love the Greek because it gives me a picture. 
is the word terasso. It means to stir up, to trouble, to agitate, to cause one inward commotion, taking away the calmness of mind, and to disturb the equanimity, to disquiet, to make restless, and to strike one's spirit with fear or dread, to render anxious or distressed, to perplex. To perplex by uh, suggesting doubts. Has anybody ever dealt with doubt in your life before? Especially when things come through the things of the promises of God. When you haven't seen them for a while. You've been walking it out. You've been waiting and you haven't seen it. It may be with your children. It may be with your job. It may be with circumstances that surround you. You've been waiting. And somewhere along the way, you have to deal with doubt. Fear. All these things begin to come on you. And in, the, in this time, what I believe is the enemy wants us uh, to come with worry and doubt, fear, unbelief, with accusation. He wants to grab our attention so that we give our attention to the crisis and to the drama and to all the things of trouble that are going around us. All these things are just crouching at our door ready to take over our heart. And what happens when we begin to receive, just to kind of give in to the fear, when we give in to the timidity, when we give in to these things that are trying to take us over, doubt, unbelief, when we start giving in to those things, it changes our perceptions of life. It changes sometimes our course of life. And the enemy has come only to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants you to abort the plan of God in your life. He wants you stagnant, and he wants you isolated. That's why it says in the Word, it says that, as you see these days are coming, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves. We have to encourage one another in the Lord. But let me just declare this to you. Just because there's great trouble around you does not mean that you have to be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Why your heart? See, your heart is the seat of your emotion, the seat of your emotions, your perceptions, where you make decisions. A troubled heart is a seedbed of the very confusion and deception which Jesus warns us. When our hearts are weighed down with anxiety and fear and shame, we are much more vulnerable to darkness. It's easy to get confused, especially when there's so much noise in the media out there, so much division, so much criticism, so many things happening around us. I don't know how you feel, but sometimes it's just like I feel overwhelmed if I'm giving attention to all that stuff. We can get our hearts weighed down. Fear is not who you are. You know this very well. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. If you have received Jesus in your life, the Spirit of God came to live within you. And when He came to live within you, what did He bring with Him? He brought His glory. He brought His character. He brought all that He is to come and live with inside of you. So when you begin to fear, that is not who God is in you. 
when you begin to fear, when you begin to doubt, that is not the character of God. That is the enemy coming. That is you nurturing some of the things and the news and the information that you're getting. Anybody here love drama? <laughs> if so much of so many of us hate drama, how much or so much how come there's so much of it? You know, one of the things about fear is that it's easy to give into it and nurture it because it's in the air everywhere. You ever go to work and everybody's going, man, what about, what about, what if, what if, what if, oh my gosh, my job, oh my gosh, this, oh my gosh, this, oh my husband, oh my wife, oh my. And it's in the air. And I don't know about you, but even in some families, maybe even including my family growing up, it's like, unless you're worried or anxious, you weren't being responsible right? And if, if you weren't worried, they would tell you what you're supposed to be worried about, right? So that you could take responsibility. But see, that's contrary to the kingdom of God and the spirit that, that is within you. Romans eight fifteen says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Abba is the term of endearment, daddy, papa. So in all these things, he says, let not, let not your heart be troubled. Now, when we say let not, what that means is you don't give permission to, you don't give access to, you tell those things, you cannot enter here. As they're trying to take hold of your heart, you say, I do not allow you to take over my mindset. You cannot have my heart. Have anybody watched Lord of the Rings? You ever see? Yeah, Austin is like, uh, I figured you were that guy. <laughs> so there's a scene in there that pictures the let not. <laughs> you already know where I'm going. Gandalf. And the great, this big fiery demon is chasing them through the caverns, and they go across this bridge, the whole crew of them. Gandalf is in the back, and he turns around, and he starts to stand his ground. And the first thing he does, he starts to uh, declare who he is. Because who he is is supposed to be really powerful. And not only does he declare who he is, he then begins to say to this thing, he begins to fight. The swords start coming, and the demon comes down, has blocked it. And finally, Gandalf raises his staff, and he goes, You shall not pass. Everything crumbles, and the demon falls into hell. That's the picture that we need to have when we start feeling fear creeping in, when we start feeling timidity creeping in, when we start seeing and getting overly concerned about the days and times and the things that are going on because we'll go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I tell you, I see people in fear all the time and it's, it is torment. It's torment. I've had to deal with so much fear in my life. I understand what that torment is. And what we need to do is in our lives, we, we should be like this and let not we should do a Gandalf move and say, you shall not pass. You say it however you want to say it. 
But you look that right in the eye and you tell it, you have no ground here. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all, uh, above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I like it when it says, with diligence, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. When your heart is gripped in fear, it's almost like a self-proclaiming prophecy. You will begin to live out that which you're fearing. But see, when God commanded, let not your heart be troubled, every command comes with empowerment from the Holy Spirit to obey what he says. Just the command alone without the Holy Spirit is harsh and hard. I remember when I was much, much younger, there was a drug campaign that said, don't do drugs. And all the, all the teenagers were like, right, I'm not going to go do drugs. Oh, I'm glad I saw that. I won't do drugs now. Don't do drugs. Jesus said here, let not your heart be troubled. Just the words alone from Jesus should move our hearts. But not only that, what happens when we step out to obey what the word of God says, when we align ourselves with him, when we align ourselves with the word of God, all of a sudden we find that as we step into it, there's an empowerment for the Holy Spirit to work with you in that, to give you the power to do it. In this case, down in verse 27 of the same chapter, he gives us what is a supernatural empowerment of peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Guys, it's the same commandment, but what he says here, he's like, I'm going to give you a supernatural peace. And it's not the peace of the world. The peace of the world is impotent. The peace of the world is, uses words, words kind of like tranquility. Those type, that sounds nice. But what the definition of peace in the world is a lack of conflict or a lack of trouble or crisis. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Now, there's all kinds of ages in here right now. I'm one of the older crew now, so I'm getting, getting on up there. Has there ever been a season in your life that there hasn't been some kind of battle, some kind of crisis going on? So, so in those ways, the world would say, well, you've got to get rid of that in order to have peace. But Jesus says, no, I am your peace. I give you a peace that the world cannot give you. I give you a superabundance of peace, a peace that's more than you could even imagine. There's a resource of peace that is endless that you can begin to walk in. It's a peace that the world cannot recognize. I always thought it was funny, on, not funny, but you guys know, to, on every tombstone, a lot of tombstones, it says, rest in peace. So we got to wait till we're dead to get some peace. <laughs> not, according, not according to Jesus. He says, I give you peace. 
a peace. He is our peace. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? The Prince of Peace. A prince has authority, doesn't he? He's saying here, I'm going to use my authority to give you the peace. If you just let not, my peace is coming. My peace is yours. And then it goes on and says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He is the one who rules the whole earth. And he definitely rules his kingdom. So if you're, if you're walking in the peace, his government has no end. And of his peace, it has no end. There is an ever bubbling over resource of abundance of peace that you can walk in. I love this. Peace is powerful. Peace is powerful. Now we think about a lot of the power gifts such as healing. Well, that's powerful, right? Of miracle signs and wonders. That's powerful. But so is peace. And when you have peace in your life, you're able to walk in a stability. You're able to walk, and all those around you will see the peace. Peace will forward the mission of Jesus. Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. i got to read you a text I got yesterday. Does anybody here uh, know anything about city elders? Anybody? There's a group that meets on Fridays of all kinds of churches, denominations all come together and they pray specifically for our government. And they, they activate themselves in different offices of the government now. One of my, well, I would say probably one of my best friends right now, his name is Mike Lawson. Maybe you've seen his name on some of the little things around town. He ran for school board and he's now on Augusta County School Board. He pastors Rejoicing Life and Stewart's Draft. And he's bringing an incredible biblical worldview back to our school board. That's what he's doing. Mike called me yesterday, or Friday night, and he says, hey, can you pray for me? Some of us are going to Richmond, and the Harrisonburg chapter is going to be putting up a, a um, seminar or is a public community meeting about um, bringing parenting back. And it got out in the community, of course, and there was a, a contingency of the LGBTQ plus community that was going to show up and make a big, big scene. So he asked me, he said, would you pray? I'm speaking, I'm on the panel, and I, I'm really needing help. So, of course, I prayed. I said, man, let me know how it goes. My prayer for him, the Lord said, pray this. <laughs> May the God of peace soon crush Satan under your feet. And I said, Mike, I'm going to pray that because what is happening is a spiritual battle. And there are forces of principalities and powers that are the enemy. Those people are not the enemy. And they want to disrupt and divide and hatred. But what they really need is peace. So I prayed that. So he, he texted me last night. Thank you for praying. It went very well. We had 20 or so protesters 
Uh, so that wasn't too bad. Many of them came to the forum other than just sitting of the Pledge of Allegiance and National Anthem. They were mostly respectful. They actually listened uh, to what we had to say. Um, I don't know if we won them over, but at least we were able to see, they were able to see that we are not a hateful monsters that the media projects. And even though we have our differences, they saw that we were okay. The prayers of the saints made a difference. What is he describing there? Peace. Peace struck the head of the hatred and the division. That's powerful. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul is saying the same thing. Let not, let not your heart be troubled. Be anxious for nothing. But what you do is you begin to you pray. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. So let me tell you how this works. Now, is anybody tempted to fear these days? Have a little bit of anxiety? Right, are you? Some of you? You guys are awesome. So, what happens, you're sitting there and you're watching the news. Or some news comes to you about a situation tries to grab your heart. Maybe about your finances, maybe about your children or your grandchildren. What are you tempted to do? Wallow in it. Talk about it. Rehearse it. Wring your hands. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. And I don't know how many of you do this, but if you're, you're just tanking yourself on a lot of news all the time, you're nurturing it. If your friendship group does nothing but worry, doubt, and fear, you're nurturing it. Right? He said, let not. Pull yourself away. What I've begun to learn to do in my own life, when I start to recognize something as fear, and this is what got me through what I learned when I first took off into our own ministry, is I began to learn to shift, shift my thinking, shift my heart. And what I would do when that thought would come, I would shift and I would begin to pray and be thankful. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that I do not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Lord, I thank you that you've adopted me into your kingdom. I am a son of the living God. And in you, there is no fear. I cry out to you, Daddy, Papa, Father. I come to you and I thank you. I thank you that you've got this situation covered. I thank you that you are my protection. I thank you that you are my provision. Your word says your grace abounds to me, that I have everything that I need and enough to give into every good work. I thank you, Lord, that you have my family in your hand. They have their destinies in you. You have plans of hope in the future for each one. Your protection is over them. Your provision is over them. I begin to pray. You know what begins to happen? That fear begins to subside and give way to victory. 
That's how you begin to walk this out. You guard your heart. Peace is powerful. In this scripture, it says that peace will guard your heart and your mind. Peace. I want you to get this picture. Peace guards your heart and it guards your mind. The, this guard or this keep that it says in some translations is a military term that Paul used. And it was, a, it was the actual military guard in full armor and weaponry in all battle array inspecting every detail of anything that's entering or exiting the gates of a city. They were, you had to get by them if you're going to get in and out of the city. Think for a minute, Navy SEAL in full armor guarding the doors of your house. Nobody's coming there out without, without their permission. This is what peace does. When God's peace rules, fear and timidity, anxiety, worried, unbelief, even double-mindedness are not allowed. You can refuse it. He no longer gets access. I just want to kind of start to close right here. But to go just a little bit further, just to overview, how does this work? Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, who you've never seen. You've had faith in this God for generations and generations. Now I'm here right in front of you. Trust me. Trust me. Faith is really about trust. You don't work up faith. You surrender and you yield to him and faith comes. Right? I tried years and years. I came from the early life of uh, a lot of faith believers, a lot of teaching from that. You know, I would try to work up my faith. I want to work up. I have more faith. I need more faith. I want to have faith. I want to have faith. I want to have faith. You surrender and you yield. And faith begins to come. And this is what he began to let them know. In my father's house, there's many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you uh, that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. I just want to finish on this. I go to prepare a place for you. Guys, he's looking at every single one of them. And he's telling them right here, I love you. I value you. You are mine. And I am getting ready to make a place. What does that mean? I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to let them Tear the flesh off my body with a whip. I'm going to let them beat me and bruise me. And I'm going to let them put me on a cross. Nail my hands and my feet. To I suffocate in my own blood. And I am in agony. I'm doing all this because I love you. And I'm making a way. We have the hope of eternity. Guys, everything that's going on now is so small. If you had an attorney, if you took a rope across this whole sanctuary and then you put a knot in it, that's where you would be, right there. Or even more. 
Eternity is a long time. And because of the death, burial, and resurrection, we now know that this is temporary. It's temporal. Any battle that you fight, anything you're going through, there's an eternity waiting for you that you can spend. And why did he do this? Because his, the father wants his children around him forever and ever. He wants to be face to face with you, not only in eternity, but when Jesus says, I am going to make a way, it was a new and living way. In the presence of God, we not only know his omnipresence, but we can know his manifest presence with us every day. And when we walk in that kind of presence, in that kind of intimacy with Jesus, he said, this is what I've wanted. This is what I died for, that you can walk with me, that you can know me, that we can be intimate together, and that I can pour out in you a peace and a joy and the things that cause you to, to walk above and not beneath. Jesus was saying, I made a new and living way. You can come before my throne of grace with confidence in your hour of need. Jesus made a way. And he's saying to you, this is more than just eternity. That's is very important. But that you now. And what he did was, he didn't just make rooms in a house. He didn't just prepare the house. To me, what he did was, he prepared a home. And as, as I close in this, I just, I just love the picture of the prodigal son. It's really about the father in Luke 15. It was about a home. The father made a home. A home is an environment of love, acceptance, of forgiveness, a place of rest, a place of freedom, a place where we find our identity, a, a safe place. And our heavenly father is our home. He is our home. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm going to go make a place for you. A place where you can reside without anxiety. A place where you can reside without overcoming fear. It's a place where Jesus says, it's not about how often you go to church. It's not about how often you read your Bible. It's not about, not, um, do the, I mean, those things are important, Right? But it's not what wins you the grace and the love of God. God's love is unconditional. Y'all have heard me say this before, but this is just the best way I know how to express it. God loves you because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's who he is. And from that place, God comes and he has made a way that we can encounter him and know him every single moment of the day. It's not about how you perform. Peter had to deal with some shame. The disciples had to deal with some shame. And guys, as I've gotten into this new ministry we called Encounter Discipleship Network, our goal is, is to make disciples and send them out to go make disciples and begin to plant churches all up and down the valley. We've got several locations already in Stanton, in, in Stewart's Draft, Fishersville, Bridgewater. We're working on Lexington now. And I'm seeing the body of Christ take hold to begin to go make disciples. I'm watching it.
not me, the pastor, the body of Christ is going to make disciples. The one thing, one of the main things that I've had to deal with is a sense of shame in Christians. Because for so long, we've put our emphasis on how we perform. I've got to be a perfect little boy or little girl in the body of Christ. And this is what it looks like. It looks different at every church and every region. When I lived out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we know what uh, spirituality looked like? That you had the right clothes and the right hairdo. Right? uh, You were spiritual if you had that. It's different everywhere. But it makes you tired. Right? Conviction says, I've, I've done something wrong and I can get forgiveness. Shame says, I am something wrong. And you try to work and work and work. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place because I love you. You're valuable. I am going to give everything I've got so that you can know my love. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. It's not about you. It's about him loving you. And we can't even rightly love until we let him love us first. And so many times people are rejecting that because they don't feel like they deserve it. Jesus says, I know, but I shed my blood for you. Now, receive my love. I want to pray for us today. And if you would, just stand to your feet. Did I preach too long? Everybody's really slow. <laughs> Everybody go to sleep? I didn't see anybody sleeping. That's a record. Eric, that's a record. I want to ask you today, as I, as I was talking, I just want to, I want to pray, because I know in this room, there's got to be somebody that's dealing with some kind of fear, anxiety, timidity, and what's happened is it has kept you from doing what you know God has told you to do. Somebody in here, or maybe many of you in here. God has spoken something to you. It could be a a ministry. It could be just something small. But fear is keeping you from following through. Can we all just close our eyes right now and just go into prayer with the Lord? If you're here this morning and you're dealing with some kind of fear or anxiety, if you raise your hand, we're not going to embarrass you. We just, just, just want to pray for you. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah. I tell you what, I raise my hand because I, I still deal with it from time to time. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you now. Lord, right now, Lord, I just thank you. I speak peace over everyone here. Those that raise their hand, Lord, right now. Lord, meet them with your peace in the midst of that fear and anxiety now. Lord, I pray for anyone that's dealing, Lord, with intense anxiety. In the name of Jesus, I thank you now for your peace manifesting. I speak peace to the heart, peace to the mind. I speak peace, your peace, a peace that passes all understanding, peace. And Lord, I pray that every single one of us would know how, Lord, to walk in your peace, Lord, to reject all fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, 
double-mindedness, Lord, we reject it in Jesus' name. And we thank you now as our Father and as the Prince of Peace, Jesus, you give us peace. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.